utilizing God-given abilities to manage, God-given resources to accomplish God-ordained results. And I said we're going to do the ABCs, and so we have done A and B so far. So what was A? Anybody remember? Attitude. Attitude. Wow, I'm so proud of you. Anybody remember what B is? Anybody know what C is? <laughs> well, hopefully after today, you won't be confused. Oh, Jim, I love you. I love you so much. <laughs> hey, I got a plate. I got a plate for you. <laughs> So this morning as we come to the letter C, it is commitment. I know we don't like that word, do we? That's a tough word to swallow. On April 21st, 1519, the Spanish explorer Hernando Cortez sailed into the harbor of Verna Cruz, Mexico. He brought with him only 600 men, and yet over the next two years, he, with his greatly outnumbered men, were able to defeat Montezuma and all the warriors of the Aztec Empire, making Cortez the conqueror of all Mexico. How was this incredible conquest accomplished? When two prior expeditions had failed even to establish a colony on the Mexican soil. Here is Cortez's secret. For Cortez knew that from the very beginning that he and his men faced incredible odds. He knew that the road before them would be dangerous and difficult. He knew that his men would be tempted to abandon their quest and return back to Spain. And so as soon as Cortez and his men landed and unloaded their supplies, he ordered that their entire fleet of 11 ships to be burned to the ground. His men stood on the shore and watched as their only possibility of retreat burned and sank. And from that point on, they knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that there was no return. There was no turning back. Nothing lay behind them but an empty ocean. Their only option was to go forward to conquer or die. And we even see a similar story in the book of First Kings. It involves the prophet Elijah and the calling of his attendant and successor, Elisha. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. If you haven't already. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to read starting in verse 15. And I encourage you to read the first 15 verses on or 14 verses on your own even this afternoon. 1 Kings chapter 19. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahalo, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will be put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. 
Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in him, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What I have done, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Here we see Elisha, a simple farmer who suddenly and unexpectedly approached by the prophet Elijah and is invited to accompany him and serve as a personal assistant. When Elisha requests time to go home and say goodbye to his parents, Elijah makes it clear that the decision to come is entirely Elisha's to make. When Elisha says in verse 20, what have I done to you? It means what claim do I have on you? And the implied answer is none. In other words, Elisha was free to stay or to go with him. And as we see that Elisha did not only choose to accept this call, but he slaughters his oxen and feeds them to his neighbors, burning his plowing equipment to cook the meat. And by doing this, he publicly and completely declares his intention to leave that former way of life and follow Elijah. I know we have heard the term burning our bridges, but now burning your boats, burning oxen. But what does it mean to be committed to something or someone? It means making a firm choice. It means not worrying about keeping our options open or leaving ourselves a way out. It means pursuing something wholeheartedly with no emergency plan to fall back on. It means being a 100% sold out to a person or a cause or a goal, not holding anything back, not keeping anything in reserve. Now, the idea of being this committed to anyone or anything makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. It feels too risky. It feels like we're going to go out on a limb and that limb is pretty small. And we begin to ask the questions like, what if the person I've committed myself to lets me down? What if the cause turns out to be not as worthy as I, as we thought? And there's a lot to be said for caution today. For God isn't calling us to be carefree or irresponsible. He doesn't want us just to, just to rush into things without counting the cost. Jesus tells us over in Luke chapter 14, don't begin. Until you count the cost. And once that path has been determined, once we've discerned to to do the best of our ability with what is God, what God is calling us to do, what God is calling us to be, then he wants us as sold out followers who aren't going to look back when the going gets tough. What he wants are followers who are so committed to him that they will burn their bridges, their boats and their oxen. Disciples who will abandon whatever is holding them back. What's holding us back today? He wants those who will follow follow him wherever 
he may lead. Are you that type of follower this morning? Do you want to be that type of follower of God this morning? Let me share with you a few things that God hates. God hates people. God hates churches who are wishy-washy. God hates those who are doubters. He hates those who sit on fences. And he surely hates those of in the people and churches who can't make up their minds, who are forever or ever weighing their options and who can never settle on that course of action. God isn't calling us to act rashly without any thought to the consequences that may lay ahead of us. But what he wants are people who will follow him with a joyful abandon, without regret, without looking back. Jesus says in Luke 9, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this morning, are you sold out for God? Are you determined to seek after God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? Or are we trying to live it out both ways? Are we trying to serve God just enough to keep him happy? Just enough to keep our consciences quiet. While at the same time, we're also following after the things of this world. Church, there is not a more certain way to make yourselves miserable than try to serve God and also serve the world and even try and serve ourselves. You know what Jesus said? It's better to be a wholehearted pagan following after the world with all your strength. At least then there's hope for your conversion. But after a a half-hearted so-called follower of Jesus is something God hates. It actually nauseates him. It makes him want to throw up. And we see that in Revelation chapter 3. For Jesus says, these are the words of the amen. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Have you ever been hot and sweaty and thirsty, just longing for that cold drink when you've been working on a project? But instead, when you turn on the faucet outside or even inside, you just get that first think of lukewarm water. And you can barely swallow it as you try and drink it. For it's not refreshing, it's actually nauseating as we try and drink it. And that's how Jesus feels about lukewarm followers today. And the great thing and the great love of God, he gives us a choice. So what are we today? Are we on fire? Are we hot for God? Are we cold? Or are we just kind of lukewarm? We need to not just think about that today in our own lives. I believe it's time for each one of us to decide if we're going to be hot for God, if we're going to be cold, or if we're going to be lukewarm. For Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, no one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. On the surface, this doesn't seem impossible, does it, to serve two? Why should wealth be conflicting with godliness? And in fact, some TV preachers and other churches all over today will say that wealth is not only consistent with godliness, but is actually a sign of godliness. But Luke chapter 16 tells us that it is impossible to serve God at the same time of serving something or someone else. We cannot serve God and also serve money or something else. We can't serve God and also serve safety and security. We can't serve God and also serve career advancement. Why? Because we can only run full speed in one direction. That's the way God created us. Because there's only room in our hearts for one consuming passion. And that object of our love and our devotion must be Jesus. Because he alone is worthy of it. James says in chapter 1 of James, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. What does that mean? It means that if we're praying to God just as a way of of covering our bases, then we better not expect a reply from God. If we want to receive anything from God, then our dependence must be completely holy upon him. If we want him to supply our needs, then our attitude must be one of complete 100% faith in him as the source of every good thing. So if we're uncertain about whether we should trust in God or trust in something or someone else, then we shouldn't be surprised if our prayers that we pray go unanswered and they're not because they're half-hearted prayers. For God answers the prayers of those who place their whole lives entirely into his hands, who look to him alone for the things that he desires for us. Who were Jesus' favorite disciples out of the 12? Who were his favorite ones? The ones he liked to hang out with. Do you remember who those were? Who? John? Peter? There's one more. James. Peter, James, and John. For when Jesus had something special that he wanted to share with only a few of the people there, these men is who he chose. Remember in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus invited these three, Peter, James, and John, to accompany to the Mount of Transfiguration where the glory shone so brilliantly that it literally overpowered them. And it was Peter, James, and John in Matthew chapter 26 when he invited them to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane on that night. He was arrested. In Mark chapter 5, we see the story of when Jesus went to Jairus' house to heal the daughter who everybody said, Oh, she's dead. You don't need to go. Peter, James, and John went. And what did Jesus do that day? Jesus healed that little girl. Now, these three disciples, they weren't quiet. They weren't cautious. They weren't the run of the mill guys. They were just the opposite. 
They were bold. They they were courageous. In fact, Jesus nicknamed for James and John were the sons of thunder. And in John chapter 21, when Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection, we see what takes place. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, he said. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. And he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. For you see, as soon as Peter realized that Jesus was the one on the shore, he immediately jumps into the water and he starts swimming for all of his worth towards Jesus. He doesn't stop to say, well, is it going to be easier if I stay in the boat? Or if I swim, he sees Jesus over there and he jumps in and he goes in full board. Here I come, Lord. Here I come. Did Peter make mistakes in his life? Of course he did. When Jesus was arrested, Peter was the one who drew his sword out and sliced the ear off of Malchus's head. And Jesus rebuked him for that. But even then, we have to admire Peter's boldness there. Yes, he might have been misguided, but he wasn't afraid. He wasn't fearful. He was bold. He was wholehearted. He was committed to Jesus, and Jesus loved him for it. Let me ask you, if Jesus gave you a nickname today, what would it be? Would would you be called the sons or the daughters of thunder? Or would he call us something else? When Jesus calls us to be disciples, he calls us to make a lifelong, permanent, absolute commitment. Jesus tells us in Luke 14, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. When we choose to follow Jesus, he invites us to first count the cost. Because once we set on that road that is before us, there will be many temptations to turn back, to turn aside from the path that we're on. And Jesus wants us to consider carefully what we're getting into so that we don't fail at a critical moment and dishonor ourselves and Christ as well. He wants us to settle in our hearts once and for all that when we follow him, there's no turning back, no turning back. We've crossed that point of no return. And there's no really alternative, though, is there? For Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only truth and the only life. 
Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In John chapter 6, it says, from this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, Peter is saying, Jesus, you're it. There's no one else to follow. No matter what, Jesus, we're going to stick with you today and tomorrow for the rest of our lives. And that's the kind of commitment God is desiring from you and I today. You and I this morning. Why is it so important to be radically committed to Jesus? Why is it necessary to burn our bridges to the world? Why is it important to take the steps to put the world behind us, the cross before us? Because as long as we have the option of turning back, as long as we entertain that possibility of giving up, then we've lost our edge. It's very difficult to maintain that energy, the focus, and the drive necessary to follow Jesus through the hard times. If in the back of our mind we're saying to ourselves, I can always quit. I can always stop. If it gets too uncomfortable or too unpleasant or too demanding, I can always go back to the way it was in my life. Let me give you some examples. Marriage. As long as a couple entertains that possibility of separation or divorce. They're going to have a hard time reconciling their differences. That potential escape, that out of possibly leaving, robs them of that energy and commitment they need to work through the difficulties that you have in married life. It makes them too willing to throw in that towel, too willing to declare their relationship is hopeless. There's another one, baptism in the church. Some people here this morning haven't been baptized, even though you say you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And there are many reasons why people hesitate to be baptized. Well, what are other people going to think? What's my family going to think if I do this? Uncertainty if should I be baptized or do I need to be baptized to be a believer? If I was sprinkled as an infant in that church, isn't that good enough, Pastor? A fear of being in front of a lot of people and that focus of being of that attention on you. My intention this morning, church, is not to judge or to pressure anybody. But there's a reason that Jesus instituted this practice, a reason why he made this along with the Lord's Supper, two ordinances of the church to be practiced until he returns. It's because baptism is a stake in the ground. It's a way of publicly burning our boats, of symbolically destroying our way of retreat. It's a way of totally living out our commitment to Jesus so that we will be less likely to turn away from following him when the going gets tough in our lives. In baptism, we proclaim to the whole world, not just those who come to that time. But we proclaim to the whole world unashamed once and for all. I am a follower of Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. 
Jesus commands us to be baptized for the same reason that Cortez ordered his ships to be burned. It helps us stay committed. Let me give you another example. Church membership. Again, many people have different reasons for not officially joining the church. And again, my purpose is not to judge or to pressure anyone. It's possible to be committed without officially joining a church. But just as possible to be committed to a man and a woman without becoming officially married as well. It's possibly be committed a faithful common law wife or a common law husband. And I'll freely admit this morning that the Bible doesn't have anything really about joining the church. Just as it doesn't have anything about a marriage license. Or wedding ceremonies. So why do it? Because church membership is a way of strengthening our commitment to the local church body. It's a way of saying, I'm one of these people. This church is my family. It's a stake in the ground that helps us stay engaged in the life of the church. Even if that day comes when you might feel that you want to leave the church. It's a public statement of commitment that makes it a little more likely that we're going to stay and work things out when things get tough rather than just fading away as some people do in the church. Just a few examples this morning. In fact, I'm sure that there are those this morning who are dealing with all kinds of issues related to commitment in your own lives. Issues that have nothing to do with those things I've just brought before us. But as we close this morning. Let me ask you a question. What do you need to do to be completely 100% devoted to Jesus? What boats is God calling you to burn today? What escape hatches, what exit doors do you need to slam shut and put that padlock on it so you can't get in there anymore? What tangible steps of commitment is God calling each of us to make this morning so we can say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in a hundred percent. Whatever it may be, God wants us to be obedient. And that's another word we don't like to hear. Obedience. God wants us to be committed to him. Are you committed to God this morning? Are you committed to God this morning? For if you're not, a hundred percent, we're lukewarm. We're cold. And God wants us hot for him. But again, in his great love, he gives us a choice. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. I choose to be committed to God. No matter what. No matter what someone's going to say, I don't care. Because I have to stand before God one day. I have to stand before God. He's going to judge me, not anybody else. As the worship team makes their...